0: This is Trump Watch. I'm John Wiener, live in LA on 90.7 KPFK, talking about what Trump is actually doing, not just what he's tweeting. Later in this hour, it's a year and a day after Trump's election, and Katha Pollitt has been having some anger management issues. She'll tell us about it. Also, New York City is both the home of Trump and the greatest antithesis of Trump. How did it get that way? Historian Mike Wallace will explain. First up today, Harold Meyerson on Tuesday's elections in the Republican tax bill. Trump Watch starts right now. Well, on the first anniversary of Trump's election, that was Tuesday, voters rejected Trumpism and Republicans all over the place. For comment, we turn to Harold Meyerson. Of course, he's executive editor of the American Prospect and a contributor to the LA Times op ed page and other publications. We reached him today in our nation's capital. Harold, welcome back. I
1: feel very welcome. Always good to be here, John. <laughs>
0: Well, the news today is about Roy Moore, the Republican. He's the Republican candidate for the Senate in Alabama, but maybe not after today's news. Fill us in on the latest on Roy Moore.
1: Well, the Washington Post political reporters in Alabama uncovered uh, several reports of uh, Roy Moore's interaction when he was in his 30s with, uh, with teenage girls, one of which uh, was with a 14-year-old girl who uh, he uh, had undress, and apparently there was some feeling, but no not, 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 nothing of the, the the kind that Bill Clinton said enabled him to say he had no relations with uh, Monica Lewinsky. Uh, so uh, uh, this was uh, revealed today. The girl did not want. Uh, the, the, this, uh, uh this uh harassment from uh, Roy Moore she told some people at the time uh he was a powerful judge and uh uh she was uh she and her mother both were willing to go public today uh the post then uh, also had uncovered uh attempts at relationships that Moore had with uh somewhat older teenage girls uh in uh in Alabama uh during the same time um so uh, the, you know the, the Republican Party has not been having a good week anyway uh Mitch McConnell saw this and said, if this was the case, they wanted to he would not back uh Roy Moore. they wanted him to drop out right away. Now, this is Alabama, you know, where evangelicals uh you know can come up with all kinds of justifications uh for uh older men uh actually frankly sexually abusing. Uh, young women or girls. Uh, there was a uh, presidential candidate who actually won last year, uh, who uh, was, uh, uh, you know, c- caught in all kinds of things, including a recording, uh, and that did not deter. What, what was that guy's name again? For him. Uh, rhymes with rum. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, I mean, something this, like that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, you know, the oddities of Atlanta are such. Atlanta, not Atlanta, Alabama, Alabama. Uh, are, are such uh, that uh, this is not necessarily, um, a, 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 you know, the, the end of the road for Roy Moore's uh, candidacy. This is a guy who is uh, extraordinarily uh, Neanderthal, actually, for even by today's Republican standards. Uh, he's certainly not the candidate whom the Republican establishment supported, Uh Someone who had been uh, forced out of office twice as Supreme Court Justice for, for violating uh, federal law, uh, but uh, it's also the case that uh, he has a, a you know a plausible Democratic opponent, Doug Jones, and uh, uh, who is a civil rights lawyer, uh, uh, the guy who, uh, uh, as a prosecutor, uh, convicted many years later the killers of the four little girls who were killed in the Birmingham church bombing of 1963. Uh, and uh, this is a somewhat more competitive race than you would expect in Alabama before this. And there are certainly uh, a class of women, uh, suburban women who uh, uh college-educated, normally vote Republican, who voted overwhelmingly for Democrats in Tuesday's elections, and I think the the calculations of someone like Mitch McConnell are this could be a, a killer for his candidacy in uh in Alabama, and even if it's not, the republicans you know uh don't exactly ha- want to have to defend this stuff in 2018 yeah. in 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 states where uh the, the, there are more voters who might be upset by this than are upset by this in Alabama
0: yeah i just want to underline that Mitch McConnell and what a half a dozen other uh, republican senators already in since in the 2 hour or 3 hours since this uh, story broke in the washington post website have said Uh, If it is true, then Roy Moore has to drop out. Seems pretty clear. At least a lot of people are saying Roy Moore is not going to drop out. But it is striking, as you say, that so many high-level Republicans uh, want him to drop out, and uh, partly it's – because he's not their kind, he's he's so he's too wild for the Senate Republicans, but partly because they saw what happened on Tuesday. As you say, suburban voters, especially suburban women, abandoned the Republican Party, especially in Virginia. Uh, that could be uh, a sign of things to come. So let's talk about the larger picture of what happened in the elections on Tuesday, and I wonder if you can detect any patterns or any larger meaning there.
1: Sure. Uh well, first of all, Democrats uh and people to the left of Democrats did uh surprisingly well everywhere there were a lot of city elections uh where uh, uh, actually people quite uh quite on the left in places like Minneapolis and Seattle uh and Boston uh, were elected to city council positions, but the main contests were the state elections in New Jersey and Virginia, New Jersey, was always viewed as kind of a slam dunk for the Democrats. Their governor, gubernatorial candidate, Phil Murphy, won handily Uh, the incumbent Republican governor, who was term-limited out, Chris Christie, was about the least popular governor with his own constituents uh, in the the country. So the the Republicans were already uh, uh, pronounced dead in, in New Jersey, and the election bore that out. But Virginia was more or less astonishing uh, uh no one thought that the uh democratic uh, uh gubernatorial candidate ralph northam would, would hello
0: yes we're still here okay i'm I'm getting an
1: odd noise yeah, on yeah, we heard but,
0: it, but it went away
1: okay good uh no one thought that the uh republican uh democratic candidate ralph northam the state's lieutenant governor Uh, Who is uh, about as exciting as you know watching paint dry uh, would 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 win that big? He won by nine percentage points, which is more than any Democrat has won uh, in Virginia, which is a state that's been trending Democratic. But you have to go back to the days when the Democrats were essentially the old Dixiecrat, uh, one party in uh, the the only party that mattered. In Virginia, to find a Democrat who's won for governor by a margin that large more uh astonishing and and no one predicted this. there was not a single word in print about this before this election on which a gazillion stories had been written uh The Democrats basically uh picked up anywhere between fifteen and nineteen seats in the lower house of the state legislature um They were trailing sixty six to thirty three At the moment, it's like 49 to 49, uh, and a few races yet to be decided. Uh, All throughout suburban Virginia, there was huge increases in turnout. Uh, uh, College-educated Virginians, college-educated whites, uh who normally support republicans narrowly voted for northam in the the exit polls uh the younger the voter was uh the the more likely that voter was to vote for the democrat and so uh, of all those new legislators uh legislators le- the of the 15 seats the democrats have already picked up uh and in what is you know a white male body uh 10 of those new legis- uh, new, new delegates to the uh richmond assembly are women Uh, and and, uh, there are two delegates uh, elected from Manassas, the site of uh, the first and second battle of Bull Run in the Civil War. The South won both of those battles in 1861 and 1862. I would say the North won uh, on uh, on, on this Tuesday. Uh, One of those Democrats who won. got a huge amount of national publicity uh Danica Rome who is transgender the other who no one was paying any attention to except a, a handful of lefties Lee Carter a former marine who was an avowed socialist a, a member of the Democratic Socialists of America uh running uh as as the democrat uh, against the uh number 2 republican in the uh in the assembly uh and beat him handily uh, Uh, So uh, in the third battle of Bull Run, uh, uh, the voters sent uh, one transgender Democrat and one socialist Democrat to the legislature.
0: From the Uh, Civil War to the DSA, we're speaking with Harold Meyerson about Tuesday's elections. Um, I want to turn next to the exciting topic of tax policy the republic the, <laughs> the republican leadership in congress wants to pass a tax bill they've been saying before thanksgiving but that's like i don't know 8 working days away for congress uh, doesn't seem too likely or maybe christmas will be their new new goal but the heart and soul of the bill that's currently in the house where such bills must start is a a cut in the corporate tax rate from 35 to 20% if some version of this bill passes It will be the first and the best legislative victory for Donald Trump since he won the election a year and a day ago. Um, Republicans will run for re-election everywhere in 2018, claiming they succeeded at cutting taxes. Uh, Of course, there's a lot in this bill. Uh, Harold, is it correct to say the heart and soul is the corporate tax cut?
1: Oh, it is. It is, yes. Uh, Yes. It, it's, uh, it's. I actually have doubts this thing's going to pass, and I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, the corporate tax cut is 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 key, and Republicans have been uh, sort of scrambling to explain that when corporate taxes are cut, that means workers' wages will go up, for which there is zero empirical evidence. Uh, but that ha- does not deter uh, these folks. Uh, what it what it means, you know, and, and it doesn't. Nor does it mean that investment uh, by corporations are going to go up, much less investment in the United States. Uh, Lately, uh, when uh, corporations have had more money, they've simply shoveled it out to their major shareholders in dividends and share buybacks, uh, which would only basically increase the wealth of uh, the very wealthy and do uh, relatively little for, uh, if, if indeed anything, for the American economy. And that is the heart and soul of it. Meanwhile, there's a lot of provisions in it that not only end up uh giving nothing to the poor but may uh, according to uh tax policy center and other studies uh hurt a big chunk of the middle class uh, whose votes the republicans need uh the the senate today came out with a version that allowed for the uh, the full level of property tax deduction because they love you know they don't want to muck with that but the completely eliminated deduction the deduction on federal taxes that taxpayers can pay can pay for state and local taxes. And in states that have relatively high state and local taxes, like New Jersey, New York and uh California, uh this would be a disaster. Uh and the reason I, I, I think this may run into some trouble even before tuesday's results came out the most endangered republican house member in california daryl isa who only won by six hundred votes uh... last november uh... Said he can't support the bill because it it's gonna hurt a lot of his constituents well someone ran the numbers and 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 found that uh... uh half of daryl uh... daryl Issa's constituents take a, a deduction from state and local taxes and if you took it away they would pay on average ten thousand dollars more in federal taxes Whoa. that ain't that ain 't chump change, uh, and there are three other Republicans from Orange county uh, whose uh, constituents would uh, be hurt almost as much now uh, you know I think after the Tuesday elections. These guys need this tax bill like a hole in the head.
0: Yeah. So Gail uh, Collins, Gail Collins at the New York Times said today, quote, Republicans in Congress are now flailing around like a bunch of panicked gerbils. I wonder if, the, if you think that's accurate. I think I'd have
1: to look into gerbils more closely. <laughs> okay. uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, y- yet again, uh, after all these years out of power, just as was the case on, uh, you know, re- their attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Uh, it's hard for them to pro- come up with a proposal uh, that kind of satisfies uh, some of their core constituents that doesn't also really uh, inflict gratuitous pain on others of their uh, constituents whose votes they need.
0: Now, when you say core constituents, I think what you mean is campaign campaign contributors.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, corporations uh, want their taxes lowered, and so that's the uh, sine qua non. Uh, that's the thing they got to have uh, in the uh, in the tax bill. Uh, frankly, the rich are so rich, there isn't really much push among you know the league of American billionaires to, to, <laughs> that much to you know to, to affect their taxes. They're doing just great. Uh, But, you know, uh, things like getting rid of the state and local tax deduction would really endanger uh, the re-election prospects of most, if not all, of the 14 uh, Republican Congress members from California. In fact, just today, the Democrats added one more uh, California congressional district on there, we think we can take this list, which raises the number, I think, to
0: nine out of the wow. 14. Wow. Uh, now, and
1: that's a response to, you know, uh, in part to what, what they saw in the Virginia elections.
0: Trump is hoping he can get some Democrats to vote for a Republican tax bill. He called some Democrats uh, and told them they should vote for the tax bill because his accountant had warned him he'd lose, he himself would lose a lot of money if the bill went through. Is there a way we can find out if Trump's accountant is right about uh, his taxes? Well, there,
1: there might be uh, if, if the public could actually do what they did to all recent previous presidents, which is look at his tax returns. Excellent. Uh, yeah, but that, that seems to be something that, that uh, there's, a, there's some stumbling block
0: there. So what should the Democrats do at this point besides vote no on whatever Republican bill comes up?
1: Well, uh, they vote no, but beyond that, I mean, there, there are proposals they can make, and they did make a proposal which went nowhere about try, sort, of, sort of a vague thing that would try to force corporations to uh, give some of the tax cut to wages. It's kind of a clunky thing to do. I've long supported the idea, which, which actually was enacted in Portland, Oregon, uh, of putting a higher tax on corporations that... Uh, have a greater than 100-to-1 ratio between CEO pay and median worker pay, and yes. a, lower ta- you know, a lower tax on, on corporations where the ratio is, is, is lower than that. I mean, there's no reason, as long as you're mucking around with corporate tax rates, that you can't use that to address some of the grotesque economic inequality uh, in this country. Um, I think uh, there should be a, a major uh, uh, increase, uh, through the Earned Income Tax Credit of cutting uh, uh, taxes for the working poor, and uh, uh, the uh, Silicon Valley uh, Congress member Ro Khanna and the Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown have introduced a bill that would do that. It's not going to go anywhere, but I think these are issues that the Democrats should publicize. I mean that you know essentially you can use the tax code to create a more prosperous and egalitarian economy, uh, and uh, why not raise those issues more? as the, the, the Republicans flounder trying to pass their own bill.
0: Harold Meyerson, he wrote for Prospect.org about the GOP's suburban collapse. Harold, thanks very much. Always great to have you on the show.
1: Always great to be here, John.
0: I'm John Weiner, live in L.A. on 90.7 KPFK with Trump Watch and the Trump Watch podcast. Next up, a year after Trump's election... Katha Pollitt has anger management issues. That's in a minute on KPFK, when Trump Watch continues. (sighs) It's the same old story. This is Trump Watch. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on KPFK, streaming at kpfk.org and online anytime you want it at trumpwatchpodcast.com. Later in this hour, historian Mike Wallace talks about New York City, the home of Trump, and the antithesis of Trump. But first, yesterday was the one-year anniversary of the election of Donald Trump as the 45th president of the United States. How has the past year been for you. We want to ask Katha Pollitt. Of course, she's a poet, essayist, and columnist for The Nation. She wrote about her year one of Trump for the New York Review Daily. We reached her today in New York City. Hi, Katha.
2: Hi, John. How are you?
0: Well, I'm I'm okay, given uh, the news from last night, but I I have a friend, uh, a a middle-class white man and a liberal Democrat who told me that Actually, his life hadn't changed much since Trump got elected. I wonder what you would say to my friend.
2: <laughs> that was my friend. I, I said, oh, how well, nice for you. <laughs> Tell it to, you know, that poor teenage girl, that undocumented girl, blocked for a month from getting an abortion. She's being held in a Texas detention center, apparently run by religious fanatics. Um you know, a friend of mine had Muslim fa- – uh, saw a Muslim family yelled at by a white guy in a supermarket parking lot, go back to your own country. And my daughter-in-law, my daughter-in-law is Spanish, and she lives in Bloomington, Indiana, um, which is a large and pleasant university town. And she got the hairy eyeball from a passenger for speaking Spanish on the street. Ugh. Um yeah, and on and on and on. I think I feel like the quality of life has really changed, that uh, a lot of things that people kept under wraps, they don't anymore, and that's bad. Uh, it, to say nothing, uh, what about those Puerto Ricans and Virgin Islanders still waiting for power and clean water? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what about
0: them? <laughs> and, and Their how, life has changed. <laughs> and how are you doing as year one of Trump comes to an end?
2: Well, I'm in a total rage all the time um, when I'm not feeling depressed um, because I feel that uh, I cannot overlook all the people who voted for him. (laughs) And it makes my work seem trivial. Um, You know, I think, oh, what difference does it make if I write my column or not? You know, Um, and uh, I think... um, I just don't care a lot about some things I used to care a lot about, um, like the tide of vulgar crap that flows all around us, people taking Batman movies seriously. I think, oh, fine, go ahead, enjoy yourself. (laughs) Uh, um, But mostly I just feel like Who are these other people that live in our country? You know, all those people, they do their own research on the Internet, and there they find out that President Obama is a Muslim and Michelle Obama is a man. (laughs) Um, You know? Um, and then all these rich people, or not even rich people, well-off people who only care about lowering their taxes, they would sell their grandmothers to lower their taxes, and they voted for Trump to do that. Um, and then all these people who you know had all these feelings like, oh, I can't vote for Hillary because of her emails. I'm thinking, excuse me, can you explain to me what an email server even is? <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> yes. you know?
0: So, so um, I I understand that you uh. <laughs> You know you hate the Trump uh, voters now, but but don't you know that is wrong? It's fine it to is it's, wrong. It's me, wrong. It's fine. It's... it's fine to hate Donald Trump the man, but you're not supposed to hate the people who voted for them. There, they they don't understand. They made a mistake. We need to win them over. We need to convince them. That is the correct position. And and you in hating them, you are a liberal elitist addicted to identity politics.
2: It's true. I am, the, I am that thing. <laughs> um, I wanted those people to have health care and, and, and everybody to have health care and child care and good schools and affordable college and real sex education and a much higher minimum wage and legal abortion. And yeah, I wanted the wealthy to pay more taxes to provide for it all. And apparently this offended the pride of the mostly white citizens of Trumplandia. And uh, because, why? Because there are a lot of white people in this country who would rather not have something if black people get to have it well too.
0: i think there is something to that i think there's quite a bit to that there's some white people in this country who would rather not have something if it means black people are going to get it too I, and i think trump uh trump proved that in uh, in our election a year ago uh, a year and a day ago
2: uh, yeah and what about all these women who voted these white women who voted for that pussy grabber you know i mean really what are they thinking? Um, but you know, and everybody's none of that. None of that is identity politics. Voting for the white, you know, being white, being for men—that's just America. It's only identity politics when you're for people of color and women.
0: Well, uh, okay, so you have the incorrect position. You hate Trump voters for for voting for them. What about Jill Stein voters? That's a million, yeah, and, a million and, and a too. half people. Tell, say that again. I, How do you-
2: I I hate them. I hate them, and I hate Gary Johnson voters, and all that, you know, those Bernie people, it's fine to be for Bernie. I was almost for Bernie myself. I spent the whole primary season thinking, oh, you're making the wrong decision, Kathy, you should be for Bernie. Um, But, you know, they kept it up too long, and... You know, with that ridiculous delegate's mass thing, and then there are all these people who oh i'm my, my conscience is so pure, and I couldn't bring myself to vote for Hillary, so they didn't vote for anybody. oh, that's a big help um and what about all those people, and I'm sure some of them are listening, you know I think so. <laughs> who, you know, they spent the whole election season bashing Hillary every chance they got, and then they dragged themselves out to vote for as if they're doing the world a big favor, as if their one little last-minute ballot canceled out all the discouraging and dissuading they'd spent months inflicting on people. And you know who I hate the most of all? Who do you hate, hate the most? The people who thought that electing this reactionary monster would be okay because it would bring on the revolution. People like Susan Sarandon and Slavoj Zizek, you are idiots.
0: Zizek, Zizek, you heard it here on KPFK. Uh, Yes. Uh, I'm sure your listeners know who Zizek is. I'm sure they do. I'm sure the (laughs) phones are going to be ringing off the hook with Zizek supporters right now. Uh, Well, they were a distinct minority, but there were people who said, I know I have a lot of friends who said, well, uh, uh, Hillary is is, uh, the candidate of Wall Street. She's a neoliberal, and that makes her not that different from Trump.
2: She's a lot different from Trump. Um, She's different from Trump in... Many, many ways, not uh, and uh you know what they also said was that there's this oh Maureen Dowd says, you know uh hillary is the is the war candidate, and Donald Trump is the peace candidate, oh that's pretty funny now that he's talking about blowing up North Korea. I mean, look, if you want to be a socialist you have to you have to Bring the world around to it. You can't just say, "Oh, Hillary Clinton is not good enough for me." Because there, what about what about poor people? What about reproductive rights? What about what about black civil rights? What about people being allowed to vote? You know, tra- what about all the uh, justices that he is going to put on the court? I mean, he's already put Neil Gorsuch, but it's going to be an, an endless stream of federal judges, and they'll all be young and healthy, and they will outlive most of your listeners and you and me. Um, <laughs> Hillary Clinton would not have done that.
0: Now, Hillary Clinton, you may have heard, did get 3 million votes more than Donald Trump, and the only reason she's not our president now is because of the Electoral College. So shouldn't you hate the Founding Fathers, too?
2: I do hate them. I do hate hate them. But you know what? As Trump pointed out, you know, the the votes, the 3 million that she got, it was all in California. (laughs) It's all in California. So that doesn't really count. It only counts if you live in the rural heartland, you know, and you're some white farmer sitting in the daffodil diner with your aged friends, all complaining about these black people today <laughs> Kneel, kneeling. What is all this kneeling? You know, um, I mean, it's just incredible that these people run the country.
0: Well, you 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 say that that uh, you feel like writing your column for the Nation. Uh, You wrote in in the New York Review, it's like being an ancient Egyptian scribe counting cat mummies. I just want to say I disagree. Writing your column is not like counting cat mummies. We need your column. You help us stay, stay strong. You remind us of things that we might have forgotten. So thank you for writing your column.
2: Well, thank you for saying that, John. That means a lot to me. That really does, especially since I have to write it whether I feel like it's cat
0: mummies or not. Well, it sounds to me like you need a day without Trump every week. This is what we have at my house. No talking about Trump, no reading about Trump, no tweeting about Trump. You have to do something else. You know, read a novel, go for a walk, watch a Batman movie.
2: Not that, please. Oh, well, you know the interesting thing. This column came out the day before the election, uh, and uh, if it had been one day later, it would have felt a little dated because the news from Virginia and Washington State and New Jersey was all good. You know, I mean that's tremendous. People don't. People are getting. People are. I mean, thank you, Susan Sarandon. People are getting a little mobilized. Um, so that's all good.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad. Well, we'll,
2: never get, we'll never get back to where we were.
0: I'm, I, now, what do you mean we'll never get back to where we were? Explain, explain that.
2: Okay, well, there are all those judges. They're ah. going to be, you know, they don't go away. Uh, they will be making law in our land for a very long time. Uh, there's all the, ye- the four years or whatever it is of Trump that he has been there uh, destroying environmental law. Um, that they want to get rid of um, the Endangered Species Act. You know, I mean, that's four years of killing endangered species. Maybe there won't be any left by then. I don't know. Um, and
0: there are a lot of things like changed, that.
2: Getting, getting us out of the Paris Accords. And then there is this, the mobilization of a consonant proto-fascist movement. You've got people with these torches. And, you know, it's, you, it's not easy to put those genies back in the box. Back
0: in the camp. Yeah.: Yeah, I think you're, no, I think, uh, I think you're right. Uh, um, and tr- Trump, in bringing all those people in to run the different cabinet departments, Trump may not know exactly what to do about the environment or about energy or, or uh, but the people he's put in power do know what to do, and they are doing it, and they're doing it every day in ways that we only dimly uh, know about, and they're going to keep doing it for, for three more years.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, and some things some things can be undone, like you know, conceivably one could pa- pass a great tax bill, one could do better with health care when you know when the Democrats whenever they come in can but other things you can't undo, and that's really scary.
0: Well, um, well, let's let, yes, but let's talk now now to cheer you up a little bit. I want to yeah, talk about up, the Virginia. Up results and their implications. We are told that it was suburban voters, especially women voters, who overwhelmingly voted against Trumpism without Trump. And I know that that helps you uh, uh, feel better about the country that we live in.
2: It does, because I do feel that... uh... Thinking as a middle-aged woman, that the the most neglected people in the country are middle-aged women. You know, nobody looks at them, nobody asks them what they think, um, but the one thing middle-aged women have going for them is that they're very networked with each other, say, some of the retired ones have some time on their hands, um, and they know how to get things done, Um, And I think they really did come out in force. Unfortunately, Gillespie, the Republican candidate, did get a slight majority of white women's votes. Um, But fortunately, white people are not the whole story of America. Thank God for that. (laughs)
0: Thank God for that. White people are not the whole story of America. Uh, The other bracing thing uh, about the Virginia results, which Rachel Maddow did a terrific job with last night, or two two nights last night, was... um, the the contested races, which the Democrats had previously conceded to the Republicans for the lower house of the state assembly, where all kinds of two dozen women ran for office uh, and a whole bunch of them got elected. I think nine of them yeah. got elected and four more may end up winning, winning their races. And they may actually take control of the the lower house of the Virginia uh, s- state assembly. Uh, which hasn't happened for decades. And... I
2: know. I know. And that's really great. And two thing, I have two things to say about that. Is One is it shows you have to run everywhere. You know, this, for example, this Doug Moore in Alabama. Yeah. Uh, you know, how likely is it that they're going to elect the Democratic lawyer who prosecuted the people who killed those who blew up that church? Um, but then it turns out that Roy Moore was fooling around with teenage girls.
0: 14-year-old so. teenage girls, which is against the law. It's against, it the, law. against the law. It, yes. Even in Alabama, so, it's against the so law. For- something,
2: You know, something can happen, and people, you know, you just don't know. And so you have to make an effort everywhere. And then the other thing I want to say is that— um, uh, what is the other thing I want to say? Maybe I don't have another
0: thing. Let me just stick with Roy Moore. Let me, Let me just stick with Roy Moore for one more yeah. minute. So uh, the Washington Post uh, this afternoon published some very a very convincing, well-documented story that... Uh, Roy Moore sexually uh, uh, assaulted a 14-year-old girl, which is a crime in the state of Alabama. And I think two or three other teenage girls said he had tried to, quote, date them when he was in his uh, 30s and their mothers Mm -hmm. didn't let them. So we have corroboration. Uh, um, The leadership, the, the Senate leadership... Of the Republican Party has called on him to withdraw, but the news, uh, at least an hour ago, was he's not going to withdraw. He's claiming that's all lies, uh, uh, you know, women, women lie about things that happened to them when they were 14 years old, and that this woman is lying, and so he's going to run. And uh, the speculation I heard was he may very well win, and then you'll be depressed again. You're right. (laughs) You hadn't Um, thought of that. He may still win, because you know why? Because evangelicals, including evangelical women, will say, well, why should we believe a 14-year-old girl? Well,
2: they'll also say, you know, um, we're all sinners. Yeah? This is a fallen world. Um, He's become a very godly person, um, and I'm voting for him. Because we can't have the Democrats, because they'll make abortion legal or keep it legal.
0: Uh, I mean, that... they
2: have... They're very strategic and um, instrumental voters. And I don't think they... I, I think all this stuff about... Uh... Virtue and religion and family values, it's, it's the same crap it always was. Am I allowed to say crap on your show? You
0: certainly can. Okay. Uh, same
2: garbage uh, it always was.
0: Garbage, Same garbage it always was. But it's interesting that the Senate Republican leadership does not want him to run, because I think they saw what happened in Virginia. They saw that suburban yes. women... Uh, do not want to vote Republican, especially if the Republicans are tied to uh, middle-aged men who assault teenage uh, uh, girls. Uh, They would rather, Mitch McConnell would rather lose a a surefire Republican seat to a Democrat than tie the Republican Party uh, to this guy, Roy Moore. And that is a kind of progress, I think.
2: Well, we'll see what happens. Um, You know, I mean... uh that uh David Vitter was a representative in Louisiana and he was sleeping with prostitutes and the prostitute ended up killing herself and Vitter uh went on to become a senator from Louisiana
0: so you know I've heard that there was a presidential candidate and there was actually a videotape of of him boasting about sexually yes. assaulting women well, that's-
2: that's the worst of it. That's where you think, you know, if to the extent that the president sets the tone for the country, look at the example he's setting. Look at the example. It is just, it's just so terrible. And people voted for him. They said, uh, either whether they don't believe these, I mean, uh, what's her name? Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, you know, all the women who accused him are lying, all 15 of them. All 15 of them, uh, they're all lying. So they just say these things, and people who want to believe it can believe it.
0: Well, I'm sorry our time is up. Katha Pollitt's report on Trump year one is titled Mm -hmm. Anger Management. It's at the New York Review Daily online at nybooks.com. Thank you, Katha. It's always great to have you on the show.
2: Thanks so much for having me, John. It was fun.
0: I'm John Wiener, live in LA on 90.7 KPFK, and this is Trump Watch. Next up, New York City. It's the antithesis of Trump. That's in a minute on KPFK when Trump Watch continues. It's the same old story. This is Trump Watch. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on KPFK, streaming at kpfk.org, and online anytime you want it at trumpwatchpodcast.com. Coming up at 4 tonight on KPFK, this is happening, Jerry, quickly. But first, New York City. Today, it's the home of Donald Trump, and it's also the country's greatest opponent of Donald Trump. Hillary beat Trump in New York City 80 to 20%. In L.A., it was 70 to 30. How did New York get this way? For some answers, we turn to my favorite historian of New York City, Mike Wallace. 20 years ago, Mike Wallace published a 1,400-page book on the city's first three centuries. That volume ended in 1898, and it won the Pulitzer Prize. Now the next installment has arrived. It's 1,200 pages long, and it covers... 20 years, the crucial 20 years, from 1898 to 1919. It's called Greater Gotham. Mike Wallace teaches at the City University of New York. He's one of the founders of the Radical History Review. We reached him today at home in Brooklyn. Hi, Mike. Hey, John. Well, Trump, let's start with Trump, claims to be a billionaire How similar were the richest people in New York City at the turn of the century? J.P. Morgan, Rockefeller.
3: Morgan and Rockefeller were in an altogether different class in all senses of the word. Uh, For one thing, they saw New York City as their capital, and they wanted it to be up to European capital standards, so they put lots of money into highbrow, Cultural, educational, and scientific institutions like the Metropolitan Museum of Art or the Institute for Medical Research. Trump is about me, 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 not we, we, we. Morgan Rockefeller also contributed to charities and poor relief through their Episcopal and Baptist churches. The depths of Trump's deficiencies and philanthropies one day or another is going to be revealed when we get access to his tax returns. <laughs> But the the big difference is in the vision thing. Morgan and Rockefeller disagreed on all kinds of things. They were as chalk and cheese. But they had a joint vision that looked at the whole macroeconomy of the United States. And they looked at it and they said, it's for the birds. Free enterprise capitalism is making a mess of things. If you have competition between thousands of firms, they cut prices uh lower profits, then you have to cut wages, then you encourage unionism, you crush the unions, then you worry about socialism. no, 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 this is no way to run a railroad. So what they decided to do was to wring as much competition out of the macro economy of the country as possible, and they did this with incredible speed in the great merger wave of eighteen ninety eight to nineteen o four which Thousands of competitive enterprises were consolidated into hundreds of giant corporations like United States Steel, General Electric, ATT, most of whom housed their headquarters in the skyscrapers that erupted from lower Manhattan's bedrocks. But the, this, this crowd, the corporate class, which really comes into being at this moment, also despised what it considered to be a lunatic political competition between the cities and towns that were clustered around the harbor, New York. The mostly Manhattan, the, most, uh, the biggest city in the country. Brooklyn was the fourth largest metropolis, and yet they were rivals. And they should have been working together to solve common problems like fixing up the harbor or pending off a challenge from Chicago. So they took the lead in arranging a merger of competing jurisdictions into the megalopolis called Greater New York. Compare this with Trump's complete absence of any vision whatsoever, anything larger than his uh, balance sheet for the subsequent years. I suspect if if Morgan or Rockefeller had run across somebody like Trump, the equivalent of him in that day, they would have called him a gutter snipe, someone of unsavory manners and morals.
0: A gutter snipe. Uh, Well, the physical city of New York was transformed between 1898 and 1919, uh let's talk about uh infrastructure
3: well the what what the the corporate class had uh, constructed was a merged megalopolis that existed at that moment in ninety eight on paper so what they said about doing and the municipal authorities as well was to turn something that was on paper into something that was in reality and this had uh... this led to a frenzy of new construction bridges were thrown across the east river subways were dug beneath the landscape conduits bought water from the mountains of the north and generated power that was spread throughout the super city the populace expanded into this enormous new terrain and they tore up uh, agricultural Brooklyn and planted middle class subdivisions instead of cabbages. It, the rate of transformation of this infrastructure was so dramatic that the largely bucolic Bronx was rapidly changed into, had it been an independent city, the sixth largest city in the United States. But they also worked on external uh, infrastructure, links to the nation and the world by land and by sea. So railway tunnels were dug under the Hudson River, allowing for the first time direct access to Manhattan and Pennsylvania Station was uh, the result. And The Chelsea Piers uh, were built to handle the new Titanic-sized vessel. So everywhere you look, was uh, construction, development, uh, and, of course, the skyscrapers were, were part of this.
0: So we had a, a new corporate class, very different from Donald Trump kind of, of uh, capitalism. What did the progressives and the radicals of early 20th century New York make of the consolidation brought about by the new corporate class?
3: Well, it depended on the metrics that you used to uh, assess uh, success. Uh, what the corporate crowd stressed, uh, not unreasonably, was greater efficiency, greater productivity, and private profitability above all else. And from that metric, Gotham, greater Gotham did seem like a resounding success. But there were other scales on which one could measure the attained degree of civic and social justice, the attention paid to enhancing the common wheel as opposed to the private profitability. And New York was a bristle in this period with a variety of movements that sought to address inequalities of wealth, which were spectacular, uh, and inequities of treatment, uh, and to promote access to social goods like health care, housing, and education. Um there were a, a wide variety of reform movements. Uh there were the craft unions who fought for the eight hour day, a minimum wage, the abolition of child labor and improved workplace safety. These tended to be the older immigrants, skilled workers who had command of uh something without which if they if they struck, uh their labor was absolutely essential. They tended to be uh Anglo or Irish or German the newer immigrants, notably Jews and Southern Italians, they organized industry wide unions, particularly in the garment trade, and they backed a different strategy which was to support the Socialist Party, uh, which was a considerable force at this point in the game, uh the notion that you could win political power through the ballot and then establish minimum standards for wages and working conditions and the like. The socialists in New York uh, and elsewhere had a a broader agenda. They called for providing as rights, not as commodities, things as varied as day nurseries, free school lunches, public libraries, fireproof tenement housing. All of these things were to be paid for from the public purse. They fought also for something that was very popular amongst European socialists, the institution of social insurance programs, such as health insurance, uh, or unemployment insurance, or uh, old-age uh, pensions. And, uh, particularly in the, in the depressions, which were characteristic of capitalism big time in this period, uh, socialists urged hiring the unemployed to build highway schools and other public works. So there was a broad front of people who were operating from different political and cultural premises uh, from the corporate elite. Uh,
0: We haven't talked about women yet. What about the fight on behalf of rights for women?
3: Several things here. The Period was known for the emergence of what was called the new woman. And this referred to women who were going into the workforce, but not in those traditional only and not only in those traditionally female coded like nursing and teaching or the sex trades for that matter, but partly a result of the huge expansion of the corporate sector. Those skyscrapers were filled with clerical workers and accountants and uh enormous numbers of women were hired in in those domains all so, but the department stores exploded in size and need for uh sales girls restaurants needed waitresses um etc et etc et but the biggest most central uh form of female entering the workforce was in the garment trades where thousands, tens of thousands of uh, women, not only uh, joined the unions, but led massive women's strikes, uh, which were essential uh, in terms of transforming working conditions in the city. At the same time, the suffrage movement was underway. Again, new women, but now in the political sphere, more middle class than working class, uh, but demanded the right to vote uh and uh also uh they made an alliance with working class women uh to support the strikes and also then to get support for the suffrage movement. Uh in nineteen seventeen they were victorious and literally a hundred years ago, virtually to the day and it's generally agreed that the passage of the nineteenth amendment for extending the right to go to the national level was dependent on this New York victory. And finally, this is the emergence of a self proclaimed feminist uh sector of the gender. And this is Margaret's second time, uh, where she's uh combining radical political politics uh... The demand for women to have the right to control their own body. At this point in the game, not only was uh, practicing birth control illegal, but even mentioning birth control, sending information about prophylactics to the male could land you in the slammer. Wow. So, all together, this was a momentous moment for transformation of gender relations in the city.
0: Well, we open by talking about uh, New York as the antithesis of Trump. Trump, of course, ran for president uh, as an uh, opponent of immigrants. And today we celebrate the diversity of New York, New York's embrace of immigrants as the antithesis of Trump. What was the response of New Yorkers to immigration a hundred years ago.
3: Well, it was a big issue. There was a spectacular increase in population, a surge of driven driven by a surge of immigration, particularly from Southern Italy and Eastern Europe, but from the Caribbean, from all parts of the planet. Uh, the metropolis, uh, which had been formed by the merger, had about three million people twenty years later it had over five and a half million people incredible surge and the thing to keep in mind about immigration is that people weren't coming one by one they were coming in huge surges of people in similar conditions and when they arrived they didn't spread out uh, on a one-by-one basis they moved into existing or created new Demographic enclaves, so the Lower East Side, Kleiner Deutschland. uh, These were areas that were so big and so dense that it was possible, indeed probable, that you could uh, continue native language institutions, the the language itself, uh, religious organizations, clothing, food, restaurants, etc. Now, what's this is not novel to the period, although the scale on which this was happening was stupendous, but there was a new level of appreciation. This had always been considered to be dubious, so all these potentially fragmented and often antagonistic ethnic groups. Uh, but the emergence in this period of something called cosmopolitanism was talked about frequently, Guidebooks, which had warned visitors, tourists to the city to avoid some of these enclaves, were now saying, Oh, you must go to the Lower East Side. You must go to Little Italy. It's so charming and colorful and picturesque. Uh, But even more than that, more important, was the emergence of a small number, but very powerful intellectual forces John Dewey, uh, Horace Callan, and Randolph Bourne in particular argued that something astonishing had happened, unbidden, unplanned, but the emergence of a new form of social ecology, where people from wildly diverse uh, countries and cultures lived together, keep by jowl, uh, not lovey-dovey necessarily, although plays like A.B.'s Irish Rose spoke to the cross-pollination that was going on, uh... but that difference and diversity were a positive good and that people who wanted to uh... overcome it and bleach the new immigrants uh... or melt them were completely off the rails in terms of obscuring the benefit of what had already had been established and there were people in the city who thought that particularly the Anglo protestants who had been there they claimed the longest were entitled to supremacy, cultural supremacy by right of primogeniture in, in effect, uh, who believed that indeed the immigrants should be melted down, should be made to look like men, as a matter of fact. Uh all speak English, all wear the same clothing, all have the same food. And and the Push was on for coercive Americanization using the school system, but as uh, the war came on, the preparedness movement as well. And eugenicists popped up and race scientists who argued that actually you can't melt these people down. They're biologically inferior, and the only solution to this question is immigration restriction. Uh, so the city was both a, on the forefront of revaluing diversity and determined efforts to oppose the furthering of that process.
0: We have about two minutes left to talk about the place of African Americans in this world of diversity.
3: Well, the celebration of diversity had its limits, it stopped more or less dead at the color line. New York was a Jim Crow town, after all, Uh, and the opening of the 20th century in New York was marked by a race riot of 1900. This is when race riot meant what it had meant for centuries, uh the invasion of black territory by whites uh, and burning and breaking down churches and the like. Uh and it was one of these uh riots uh where Irish attacked blacks on the west side where their neighborhoods were indeed cheap by jowl, but they weren't uh mutually lovey dovey to put it mildly. Uh, So when this riot breaks out, uh, the police arrive, and the police join the rioters, and clubbing, shooting at tenement windows, uh, dragging them back to the police precinct and beating the hell out of them. Uh, Black lives didn't matter. But on the other hand, this was also a moment of contention. There were organizations like the NAACP, Uh, led by Du Bois and who wrote scathing editorials attacking racism in New York and in the South, Uh, A. Philip Randolph, Uh, but probably more important in changing the balance of racial power was the rise of black Harlem. Seventy thousand people moved into Harlem for a variety of reasons, Uh, and a base was established, and it was a place that no white crowds would ever dream of invading, because they probably wouldn't get out alive. Uh, This was going to continue with the the better-known Harlem Renaissance as a cultural vanguard as well.
0: Well, I'm sorry we're out of time. The book is Greater Gotham, A History of New York City, 1898 to 1919. It's a gigantic book. 1,200 pages long. It is a terrific book, full of life, full of insights. The author is Mike Wallace. He won the Pulitzer Prize for the predecessor volume. Mike, congratulations on this book, and thanks for talking with us today.
3: Thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me on
0: Well, that's it for today's, for today's Trump Watch. I want to thank my other guest, Harold Meyerson. Uh, we also spoke with Katha Pollitt about her anger management issues. Thanks to our engineer, D'Angelo Jones, to our producer, Renee Reynolds, and thanks to Rai Cooter for our theme music, Mambo Sinuendo. Coming up next on KPFK, this is happening, Jerry, quickly. Trump Watch returns next week at the same time on the same station. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening.